Hey listeners, welcome to 10x Growth Podcast. This is your host Preeti Padmanabhan, technology executive, investor and board member. Today, we will feature the book Principles by Ray Dalio. We are excited to host Jake Burns, enterprise strategist for AWS as our guest. Jake is also the author for the AWS Enterprise Strategy blog, moderator of the AWS for Executives LinkedIn group, and host of the AWS Conversations with Leaders podcast. Wow. Welcome, Jake, to the 10x Growth podcast. Thank you, Preeti. It's very happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. Lovely. Uh, you know, I've known you for a few years now, and I've got to work with you. It's been a pleasure. I'd love to hear about your career journey and key inflection points. Sure. Let me see if I can condense this down. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, um, I, I think I came into my career having a bit of an advantage uh, timing wise, um, because, you know, as a young child, I think even as back uh, five or six years old, um, and this was, you know, early 80s, I had a computer in the house. So we had a very early, like the original IBM PC um, uh, that my, my mom was using to do, uh, you know, um, her work. And, um, you know, I was just drawn to it. So uh, we didn't have any games. It wasn't a toy for me or anything like that. So um, over the course of years, uh, I had to teach myself uh, how to use it um, and eventually found basic and eventually kind of through trial and error, again, over years, <laughs> learned how to uh, uh, program in basic. Um, my, my programming style to this day is very unorthodox because I'm self-taught with no guide whatsoever. <laughs> so, um, but you know, the advantage of that was I learned kind of how to figure things out and how to be persistent and how to be patient. Right. And that's something that I think carried me out throughout my career. By the time, you know, I was uh, entering the workforce it was, you know, late nineties computer programming skills and just computer skills in general were in very high demand. So I entered the workforce kind of with technology as part of my DNA. You know how they say, if you learn a language, you learn it young, and then it sticks with you and you can become fluent. So I think most people don't have that advantage because they learn technology when they were an adult. So they'll never be hundred percent fluent. So I think I have kind of a bit of an advantage in that area. So I picked it up very, very easily. I got hired uh, doing software development. We called it programming back then in C for minimum wage, which was $7 an hour at the time. I didn't feel exploited though. I was very happy to be pay being paid to do what I enjoyed to do. And so, you know, I, I was there, I moved on from there um, rather quickly to doing system administration uh, on Linux, which I just happened to have used at, at, at home as well. Um, and then eventually uh, into management, and beyond that, I started a business, a, a co-location company doing managed co-location servers, so, uh, services. So like data center design and, and co-location and all of that. And then uh, did some consulting after that, ended up at Live Nation as a uh, lead architect, technical side, and then kind of moved up the ranks there, eventually becoming a VP of IT, leading an all-in migration to AWS for Live Nation, and then get re getting recruited to AWS on the enterprise strategy team, which is a team of uh, former executives who have all led large-scale transformations using AWS. So that's the very, very abbreviated version. That was great. I think you touched a lot of key points that resonates with the listeners here, including myself. I too started my career in computers in my high school programming in basic, and that was quite favorite for me, one of my favorite languages too. So I really enjoyed hearing your journey and reliving those days uh, with you. And uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal how you've shaped your career. And I'm excited to hear more about the book and talk to you about it. So let's dive straight in, right? Why did you choose to read the book, Principles? 
it's interesting because this is a book that really resonated with me. And um, I, I'm a very much a, a reader of uh, nonfiction books. I've really lost count uh, how many it's hundreds, maybe over a thousand at this point. And uh, fiction books, by the way, I think there's five that I've read in my life. So I'm not a huge reader, but I'm, a, I'm addicted to learning, I guess you could say, um, and knowledge. So um, a colleague of mine was always recommending books to me. And to be honest, they weren't very good recommendations. They're pretty bad ones. So he'd give me books and I just put it aside. It was, it was nothing great. And he gave me this one. And uh, I kind of put that aside as well. And didn't think of it until, I don't know, one day I kind of picked it up and started browsing through it. And I was really impressed with, uh, with what I read. So I kind of got hooked. And I think uh, since then, I probably read it five or six times. Wow, that must have really made an impact on you for you to go back to the book again and again. And so I'd like to delve into some of the principles that Ray Dalio talks about. In fact, he says that principles are what allow us to live a life that is consistent with our values. So I'd love to understand what are some of your core values in life? Yeah, so kind of consistent with what I uh, explained up to now. Um, a major theme in my life has been um, being just obsessed with continual self-improvement. You know, at Amazon, we have a leadership principle, learn and be curious. That's one that uh, I embody the most just naturally. Beyond being curious and learning, you have to, have to put it into actions. So I, I would say, um, you know, learning, be curious, and then try things, you know, uh, actually go out and do things. Um, and Amazon, we call that bias for action. So I guess I embody that one as well. So you have to test your ideas against reality. So you learn things and then you test it in, in reality. And this is something that Ray refers to as uh, trust and truth, right? So, um, you know, that trust and truth and, and embracing reality are, are ideas that really um, resonate with me as well. So um, yeah, if I had to pick one core value, it was really just like continual learning. Um, but then the other side of that is putting it into practice. Nice, nice. I think it's easy to just absorb the facts and not do anything about it. Yes. And to actually practice it is what makes it real uh, to our lives. That is a great uh, truth out there. Uh, you talked a little bit about the realism and, and especially what Ray calls hyperrealism. And this was part two in his book, which is Life Principles. And he talks about hyperrealism, hyper where one accepts reality as it is rather than wishing it was different. It's almost like if we call it in meditation, like being in the present moment, right? And we are talking about accepting what's happening. How has this influenced your life and career? Yeah, so fortunately for me, I think this is something I realized fairly early on in my life, or at least in my adult life. Um, I think it's a probably a concept children struggle with, and I was probably no exception to that. But I, I remember very early in my career having this idea and this is going to be a theme throughout this conversation. Um, when I when I was reading um, Principles by Ray Dalio, um, I kept thinking, wow, I had this idea in kind of another form in my life, right? And that's why I think I agreed with so much that he said. And it was so uh, powerful for me to hear his take on these ideas. So I'm going to give you kind of my take on it. I always thought that there was really kind of two categories of people in this world or something I, I noticed early on. They're what I would call reality creators. I mean, we live in reality, but reality doesn't just exist. People are creating this reality, right? So people who create the rules and the culture and the, you know, everything that people do, you know, and, and companies for that matter and organizations and, and ideas, these are reality creators and, and, and the rest of the people, the majority of the people kind of just live in this reality. And they're kind of what Ray would maybe call the wishers, people who wish for things. Right. And so I always wanted to be, and, and just kind of gravitated towards being that reality uh, creator. So that hyper-realism idea of Ray, I was kind of nodding while I was reading that the whole time. It, it's really something that I've always, almost as far back as I can remember 
remember I've kind of always thought of life that way. Nice. I love that. Reality creators. That's a new term uh, that you've introduced to us here. Let's talk about some of the principles that he talks about, the life principles. There were almost 10, 10 principles that I, I, I got from the book. What are some two or three principles that resonated with you? Yeah, so I like all of them. So let me just pick some of my favorites here. Um, and I think they're all my favorites. But um, I'll say, uh, he, says, he talks about taking a look from above, viewing yourself and others in an objective manner. I think this one is particularly important because this is a little bit of uh, Dale Carnegie kind of uh, philosophy, another favorite author of mine. One of them is um, being able to see yourself as others see you. And this is such a difficult thing for human beings to do. And we're not, very few of us are born with this ability. Maybe nobody, right? I certainly wasn't. This is something I certainly struggled with for a long time. And so just that realization that you see yourself differently than other people see you. And if you can acquire the skill of seeing yourself as others see you, it's extraordinarily difficult to do if, if you're not already doing it. But if you can learn that, that practice and that discipline, then your whole life will change. I mean, this is, uh, uh, I can't really um, emphasize enough how important this is because in your life, anything you want to accomplish that's any magnitude or any uh, importance is going to rely on other people, right? There's only so much you can do yourself. You have to become a force multiplier at some point. And especially as things get bigger and bigger and, and your aspirations and your ambitions get bigger and bigger, right? So the actual biggest key, in my opinion, and in my experience to dealing with people is to be able to kind of see yourself as they see you, right? And the other thing is to understand kind of their desires and their wants and kind of tailor what you're doing to that rather than what you want, right? Which is another Dale Carnegie, Carnegie thing. A couple other of my favorites from him are related. I would say own your outcomes is a big one. You know, and this is part of hyperrealism, right? It's uh, understanding that, uh, you know, in psychology, we call this uh, the locus of control, right? So you have people who have uh, internal locus of control. They're people who believe that they, uh, the actions they take are um, what causes things to happen in their life. And then you have the external locus of control, which is they think that things just happen to them, right? And there's external forces. So of course, there's, there's a little bit of both, but you have a choice as to how you look at it. And um, what I found was looking at things as 100% of what happens is because of what I did, even though that's never going to be 100% true. But if you can psychologically believe that and act that way, then you can affect the world to a better degree. And so this is taking responsibility for things, but it's also you know taking responsibility for your light. I'm a huge fan of that one as well. I'll just say one last one um, that I really like as well. That it's this is the problem. I like all of them, but I'll stop with this one. Pain plus reflection equals progress. And this is another one where I kind of have a little bit of a different take on it because pain is one way you learn, but we also learn from your success. So I don't think that's really kind of um, you know articulated in this pain plus reflection equals progress. Every experience plus reflection, but then again. Reflection isn't enough. You have to actually do something about it. So I would change the formula to reflection plus iteration equals progress. Love it. Yeah, I love every point you just said, right? Dale Carnegie was, was well, we covered the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People just a few months ago with another, uh, another guest. Uh, so that certainly resonates a lot in uh, seeing how other people see you. That's really interesting. And you talked about how to become responsible rather than be a victim. And let's delve deeper into that 
pain plus reflection and iteration that you talked about, right? Uh, I want to jump into that because I'm really curious about that. And uh, so you see, being self-aware and reflecting was an important part of Ray's life. Can you give us some examples where when you reflected, it helped you to make progress? I'd love to hear from you on that. Sure. Yeah, I kind of uh, touched this a little bit earlier, but I think if I was born a little later, I would have been diagnosed as um, autistic or, um, you know, uh, <laughs> something like that. And, and, and it may be difficult to see now because I realized this about myself, that I was a horrible communicator. And this was, I think actually it was, I got that insight from reading uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which was a very early influence in my life. And I'm so grateful that I encountered that book. Um, cause it changed my life completely, but then realizing that about myself and that so many of my problems were due to not communicating effectively with people and not having, uh, empathy and not really like pe- someone could be completely upset with me and I wouldn't even know it. You know, I was at zero uh, ability to read emotions and, and what my actions were doing to people. And I didn't really take into consideration how my words were affecting people. I took into consideration how my actions were affecting people, but I really underestimated how, how key communication was. So that book I probably read a hundred times and uh, not exaggerating because over the course of 20 years, 20 plus years. And so that was a particular weakness of mine. And when I focused on that, and this is a pattern in my life, I find a weakness and then I work on it and, and then I completely overcompensate. So I've spent the last couple of decades um, just completely obsessed with becoming a better communicator. Um, and now I'm a communicator as my career, which is uh, kind of ironic as I started out such as a, such a poor communicator. So there's another kind of concept here that I think is important. It's, um, you know, with self-improvement and why I'm so uh, big on self-improvement and particularly uh, continual self-improvement, because I realized early on that like the direction you're going in life is so much more important than where you are in life, right? Everyone likes to focus on where they are, but if you're going in the right direction, you'll get to your destination, right? So just always be kind of going in that right direction, make incremental improvements. I could go on, but uh, I'll end with that. Now that's that was great. I loved all those snippets of wisdom you gave there and uh, how you transformed yourself uh, from where you saw yourself as a young adult being not able to communicate and then picking up the right tools. Those are all great tips for so many people uh, in their life. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing and being vulnerable out there. I I really appreciate that. Uh, Let's look at some of the other inputs that Ray has given. He talked about this five-step process to get what we want in life. And it's pretty straightforward, right? In a nutshell, For the benefit of the listeners, he says, one, have clear goals, two, identify problems, three, diagnose the root cause of the problems, four, design a plan to get to the goal, overcoming the problems, and five, push through to completion. So we would love to hear your thoughts on how did you use these principles in your life? Yeah. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of another reason why I like Ray Dalio so much is that he 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 kind of approaches life and, and problems from an engineering standpoint. You know, he's kind of engineering these things. This is how an engineer would think about the problem. Like, what are the steps? And, and it's very, very rational and logical. It's funny because here's the thing. In my life, I had been collecting principles too. This is another reason why I like the book so much. I had a a list of principles. When I read his book, I was like, oh, I've been doing this also, right? I haven't been calling them principles. I've just, you know, had a file on my computer with a bunch of ideas that I would have and I would develop them, right? And then use them uh, over and over again in my life and refine them, um, which is kind of the 
the crux of what Ray is trying to, uh, to accomplish with this through his idea of principles. When I talked about my career path, I left out a few things. There, there's a lot of kind of zigzags and different directions I went into. I learned a lesson from all of them. And, and it's again, that reflection plus iteration equals progress. I'm going I'm to hijack that and call it uh, my way now. But um, I spent about a year, two years as a professional poker player. And this forced me to kind of learn how to read people even, even better and how to uh, communicate with people and kind of understand people, but also how to um, you know make decisions under pressure, which is another skill that's very important in life. So <laughs> I came up with a formula and I actually wrote a, a, a artificial intelligence program to play poker. Uh, that's a whole nother story based on this three-step process. So the process is first, what is the situation? So at a poker table, the situation might be, well, I got an aggressive player to my left. I got a tight player to my right. I think the tight player has a good hand, but they're very easy to kind of get them to fold. So that's, that's kind of the situation I'm reading the table, like what I think everyone has, what their personalities are. Right. And so poker is awesome because it's an analogy for life in so many ways and like a metaphor for life itself. So, so I like to think of problems in the context of poker. So then the second step is given the situation, what outcome do I want? So given that this is what's happening now, the outcome isn't my strategic outcome. What tactical outcome do I want? So I want the person with the best hand to fold. And I want the person with the a hand that's not as good as mine to put more money in, right? How, how can I make that happen given what I know about these people? And so I might place a certain bet based on that uh, outcome that I want and the situation. And then the third step is given that outcome I want, what do I need to do to make it happen? So that would be the actual action I need to take to get that step number two. So it's, Kind of similar, but different than, than raise, I guess, um, there might be a step zero there, which is what is, what is your strategic goal in the case of poker would be to kind of win money, but in the case of other things, it might be something else, but you could apply this three-step process to just about everything in life. And this is something that I've, uh, I've talked about a lot with, uh, folks that I mentor and, and, um, something I thought about a lot. You know, I didn't know when I came to Vegas that you're an expert at poker. I would have taken you <laughs> to go make some money uh, out there. Well, but the funny I... thing is, since I moved here, I haven't played at all. That was one <laughs> chapter of my life that I kind of moved on from. Fair enough. You know, it always happens. You know, you want to go to Vegas when you're outside, but when you live in Vegas, you actually <laughs> don't do what you do when you come to Vegas. That's yes. really interesting there. Uh, let's talk about some of the work principles that uh, Ray covers in part three of the book. What are some top principles that you found useful from that list? Yeah, again, so many great ones to choose from. I would go first with, um, again, it's kind of cliche, but uh, so important. It talks about the 80-20 rule. This is something that um, I think people understand superficially, but don't really kind of internalize and kind of dive deep on. And it's something that I have reflected on a lot. It's, it's a big lesson that I learned and actually more recently in my career. I would say in the last 10 years or five or 10 years. And it's really about focusing on what matters. And in order to focus on what matters, you have to not focus on everything else because you have a finite amount of resources and time, right? So this is kind of like the Eisenhower uh, grid type thing. You uh, focus on the important over the urgent, right? So this is a trap that we fall in and we we start uh, doing things that are urgent. Um, the urgent thing urgent things always rise to the top of your to-do list. But what I realized was you have to be kind of stubborn. You have to be a little bit irrational about your goals. If you want to accomplish anything big, you have to know what your goals are and you have to focus on things that advance those goals or that goal, that big goal that you have, and really kind of be single-minded about it. Um, everything big that I've ever accomplished in my life, I've, I've done that. And it's to the detriment of other things in your life, right? It's a trade-off. 
you know, it might be 80, 20, it might be 90, 10, it might be 95, five, whatever the split is, um, how extreme you want to take it. But in my experience, the only way to um, accomplish big things is to really focus on those things. I think also the recognizing that people are built very differently, again, kind of hit home with me. I think one of the common mistakes that leaders make, and I've made this throughout my career, is kind of treating everyone the same and having kind of have the same standard for everyone. The reality is everybody has different strengths and different weaknesses, right? And I think I'm a good example of this. I have a lot of strengths that I'm very strong in, but I also have a lot of weaknesses. I'm not I'm anything but average. You pick a area and I'm either going to be great or I'm going to be horrible, which can be good or bad, right? So if you're in a situation where you have to be good at a many different things, that's bad. And that's most jobs. Most jobs you're expected to be organized, but you're also expected to solve problems, right? Well, I'm terribly organized, but I can solve problems, difficult problems, particularly very easily. If you give me a simple problem, I might not solve it because it's too boring for me, right? You know, if you have a team knowing who your employees are, um, or even in life, just knowing yourself, playing into those strengths rather than trying to fix those weaknesses. And I spent so much of my life, I would say most of my life, this is a relatively new uh, epiphany for me, um, trying to make up for those weaknesses when in reality, I should have been just playing into my strengths. Because again, if you want to achieve anything big, you, you have to use the advantages that you have. And, and so take those strengths, those natural abilities you have, or the ones that you've developed and develop them further. That's what's going to make you stand out from everyone else. That's going to allow you to solve problems. Other people can't solve. And if you're weak in certain areas, get help from other people. And that's something that uh, I've had a hard time doing in the past, but I think I'm getting better at. Well, I love your humility. We all know how much you have achieved in your career, Jake, and uh, appreciate you sharing these two key thoughts out there on recognizing people are built differently. Uh, one more thing I would add to that list of 80-20 and about people that I realized <laughs> by making mistakes is hire right because the penalties of hiring wrong are huge. Oh, yeah. So I had, uh, I had quite a few experiences where I hired the wrong person and it did not work out well uh, for or the team or the organization. So that would one thing I know I would add to that list too. I completely agree. And then the other part of that is like keeping people in a role that they're not, you know, good at or they're not a good fit for. And that's kind of what I was saying with strengths and weaknesses. When you're managing people, you could <laughs> you could spend all the time in the world and all the effort in the world trying to bring them up to a certain uh, level. But in reality, just take what you have. You got to work with what you have, right? And they're all going to have a particular strength. Put them in a situation that plays into that strength and plays away from those weaknesses, right? Rather than just kind of trying to work on those weaknesses over and over again. I think that's, uh, it's a trap, honestly. I think it's a trap that a lot of people fall into. Absolutely. Well, it was a fantastic conversation. Do you have any final thoughts for our audience, Jake? Yeah, there's a few ideas that that, that Ray talks about in the book that I think are really powerful that um, we didn't cover. One is, um, I would just say, would, my advice to others would be to create your own set of principles. Um, you know, Ray provides his principles and they're great. Um, I, I tend to agree with all of them. One of the points of the book is that you should be learning from life and you should be creating your own life lessons and you should be creating your own kind of set of principles um, based on your own values, right? Because your values are going to be different than Ray's and mine and yours, right? So based on your values, um, and what you've learned in life, create principles and refine them and, and learn and, and apply those um, so that you can kind of learn from all previous experiences, not just your mistakes. The other thing is uh, create idea meritocracies. It's something that Ray talks about a lot in the book. I'd say this is true in the workplace and in life. And what he means by that is create a situation where the best ideas win right? Because this is actually very rare uh, in workplace environment. But Ray spends a lot of time um, with his believability uh, ideas and all these other things. He's got scorecards for people. He's got all these crazy things that he talks about in the book, but it's all to the same goal 
Um, and it's actually something that um, we, we do a lot at Amazon in uh, slightly different ways than Ray does, but it's about taking the kind of charisma and the persuasiveness of the person out of the uh, idea and letting the best idea win rather than the most persuasive person win. So it's, it's about being kind of data-driven and objective and uh, hyper-realistic, I suppose. And then lastly, something Ray touched on that I think is super important, and it's kind of a subtle point, but as you become more successful, be very wary of being overconfident. This is a trap and this is something that took me by surprise and I see it in others as well. When you become successful, especially um, over a period of time in different areas, you kind of start believing that you can't fail and you start you get overconfident. It's just human nature, right? So understand human nature to some degree, understand that you are part of human nature. You will become overconfident, even if you're aware of this principle. And even if you're aware of this idea, it's still going to happen to you but have a system in place to kind of check yourself. And what Ray does is he surrounds himself with people who are very smart. I think he even says smarter than him and um, encourages them to be uh, radically transparent, right? And so I think that's super key. Have trusted people in your life. They're going to check you and tell you when you're wrong or tell you when there's danger ahead and have that level of trust because uh, as you become successful, it's inevitable. You're going to become overconfident and then you're going to have a big failure and it is avoidable. Great, great insights there, Jake. Uh, really lovely way to finish the podcast here and appreciate you taking time today to join us. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Do pick up the book Principles. And thanks again, Jake. Thank you. Pleasure to be here.